for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tacovas boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C. O-V-A-S dot com, and don't go gently, y'all. With elk season almost on us, the questions are rolling in here at Elk Bros. So today, we're going to split time between our topic and those questions from our mailbox. Tonight, we first talk about a huge worry for so many of you inspired from one of our listeners. How many of you are worried about not being able to scout and then hunting aimlessly for days without seeing hide or hair of an elk, or worrying that the search might take you too deep into the wilderness, that killing a bull might just become a nightmare. Well, y'all, don't worry. Your coaches are here to help with just that. Those topics, along with our Elk Bros shout outs, and a long list of our letters from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from an undisclosed place here in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> and from Katy, Texas, uh, maybe the leader, maybe not the leader of the Venezuelan <laughs> mafia. These were moving up a little bit. Little by little, we're getting there. <laughs> and no doubt, our elk hunting coaches from Cimarron, New Mexico, 
from Cimarron, New Mexico, not Albuquerque. Yeah, that's right, everybody. Chav is home. Your elk hunting coaches, Joe Gilly and Leroy Chav Chavez. Hey, <laughs> heck yeah, the boy is yeah, home. Glad to be home. <laughs> there is no, no place everybody. like home, Chav. Right. Un- so unbelievable. And uh, me personally, I, I, I want to thank all those angels that were here, man, when, uh, when we got home. Because uh, it was a no pretty doubt. special homecoming, yeah, huh? Special homecoming, right? We got greeted by a lot of the town folk, and even had a parade. Of course, That's you know awesome, our uh, our town doesn't even have one traffic light, so <laughs> it didn't take a whole a whole lot. But just the, the thought is really what counted. Uh, yeah, but it's great cool. to be home. Pretty cool, man. It's so cool to see him in his own environment. So here we are, y'all. We're, we're here and. Uh, uh, we're going to get on tonight's show because tonight's show is is there's so many questions and I want to thank all of our grinders, all you guys out there for sending in questions because, man, you can tell that the hunts are getting close because questions are <laughs> rolling in, man. Anxiety's high. Stress is having excitement, too. You know, it's that excitement, too. Um, and I want to thank especially um, Felipe Perez of Miami, Florida, who actually inspired our main topic tonight. And uh, we're going to hit that uh, in, in just what you were talking about, Gilbert, in the intro. But what we're going to do is we're going to hit that, and we're going to then go to our Elk Bros mailbox, and we're start going. We're going to start going right down the list, and we're going to hit everybody and uh, and try to hit those questions because a lot of people needing some information coaches are in the house we're gonna rock that oh also guys the camo has been selling uh it's so cool uh we're getting such great response on this and i want to thank all those grinders out there that are you know gosh man they're they're wanting to sport the elk bros vacru camo and uh the orders are coming in but this Thursday is the last day to be able to order the limited edition camo because then we stop that and all the production happens so that we can get all that out to everybody, okay? So that's just uh, some information for everybody out there. Hey, Joe, would you real quickly tell, make sure, you know, my nano knows who who placed the first order of the (laughs) is me. Uh, The the moment. Bubble Bud, I got him. (laughs) <laughs> you no, didn't place the first order him. though you didn't place the first order i did <laughs> no, 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 long no. ago no 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 it doesn't count <laughs> oh, it counts like horseshoes and hand grenades it no, counts. no it don't count it don't count tell manana who placed the first tell order manana. please joe <laughs> i tell you what it was not even i i don't think i barely had pushed the button that we were live as a store and uh <laughs> And there was a Gonzalez with a Z man that purchased some stuff right away. I don't understand. Go. I don't understand what he's doing ordering the size small, but oh, it's just athletic uh, fit too. Yeah, that no, I, I <laughs> just to make Manano even feel worse, I ordered it for them for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You gonna give it to him as a present? At yeah, he's like, here you go, dude. It was my first order, but you can have it. That's so cool. Well, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for the Elk Bros shout-outs. If you're new to our show, these are just shout-outs to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. Yep, and first, the Elk Bros shout-out to those grinders giving us those incredible reviews on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. 
guys, we have now ratings. We're almost <clears throat> at 200 ratings, uh, which is way cool. And all of them are five star except for one, two. And I'm telling you, that had to be my sister. I know it had to be my sister. <laughs> <laughs> She's still ticked. From... <laughs> it had to be some beta person. Yeah, yeah. But, and some incredible reviews. So I want to thank Star Olson from Dietrich, Idaho. Star says, man, he listens to a lot of podcasts, and this was the first one he ever reviewed. So that was pretty special. And I even, when I read that, and he said some really cool things, and he said some things in his review that you can tell he listens to the podcast a lot and uh, yeah. and so I actually called him on the phone just to thank him uh, and uh, it was pretty cool <laughs> because he's like man he says you 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 gave me a call I'm like heck yeah I got a thing he's like thank you and I'm like no dude thank you and and that's how we yeah. feel about this man you guys do not understand um, when we get when we get these real it, it's so humbling to get some of the stuff we do from you guys. Richard Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska. And Richard is just a great soul, man. I mean, he's always sending emails. He's sending prayers. He's sending thoughts. You remember Richard. Oh, yeah, huh? definitely. Thank you, Richard, again yeah. and again and again. <laughs> yep. Cole Wilkes of Bertram, <clears throat> Texas. Uh, actually, that's where he was born. And if I, re if, if I get it, I think I said Bertram, and it's, now he's in Burnett. Texas. That's where he was born at. Uh, he said he had never seen uh, an elk, you know, or never hunted them before because he grew up in Bertram there. And he said that uh, his new favorite elk hunting podcast by far was ours. So uh, either he don't get out much coal, you need to get out, bro. <laughs> 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 or, or we're doing something good, man. I, I want to, I hope we're checking the, the good part. And George Smith from Las Vegas, Nevada. George, George Drew the tag in Nevada, man. And, uh, he, I mean, that, that's hitting it really, really, that's like hitting the, the golden ticket right there. So, yeah, um, no doubt. now for our top listening cities, uh, we'll go ahead and cover those now. Um, and if you have any trouble, guys, finding any of these cities or finding your way in the Elk Woods, BaseMap Pro is the GPS app choice of the Elk Bros crew. And for all our grinders looking for an incredible deal, you can get 20% off a BaseMap Pro subscription with the promo code ELKBROS20, E-L-K-B-R-O-S-20. <clears throat> and it'll cover all 50 states. It's available to you with the promo code for only $24 for all 50 states. That's unbelievable. So our largest city west of the Missouri and the second largest city in South Dakota, and it's here that you can actually touch the Berlin Wall. Man, you know, we grew up in that time, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, right? Yeah. You can go ah. to South Dakota and touch the Berlin Wall. That's right. Right in the center of the city at their Memorial Park are actual sections of the Berlin Wall, one of the biggest Berlin Wall exhibits in the nation. And that's in none other than Rapid City, South Dakota. <laughs> Rapid City, South Dakota in the house. Yeah, and I mean, people, I, for a lot of our young people, I don't know that they truly understand the significance of that wall mm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and and how they divided a nation with that and, and what it meant for families, for the culture uh, of Germany, for that, for that wall to come down. So 
That was that's a pretty and special. Let me tell you something. If it wasn't for us, they'd still be speaking German over there. Yeah, all the French people would be. <laughs> <laughs> you bet you, man. Okay, Cherry next Pins. up, the Cherry Capital of the World, and home to the National Cherry Festival. Cherries can be found everywhere here. Thousands of incredible pies and desserts, craft beers and wines, and even on the roads where the overloaded crop trucks go around corners and curves, and there's some spillage there, so there's cherries <laughs> all over the roads. Yeah. Uh, the region produces three-quarters of our nation's tart cherries in Traverse City, Michigan. Michiganers, again. Traverse City. Traverse That's City. A neat city, man. Traverse City. Traverse yes, City, sir. Michigan. Big old town back in the day. Oh, really, huh? Yes, sir. Big old town up there. In the, they call that the UP. And uh, Traverse City's uh, a neat town in Michigan. Been there a few times. Awesome, man. Thanks, yep. guys, for listening. All right. So, uh, named after the town in Scotland, it's the highest city in Canada. Even though now it's only 10 minutes north of Calgary with modern transportation, in the 1800s, it took one day of brutal journey to get there. And at that time, this thriving city of now 70,000 was once just a stopping point for water since everything else was usually frozen. Uh, Erdri Alberta. And I guess in Scottish would be Erdri Alberta. Alberta. <laughs> Alberta, Canada. Yep. Erdri. Er, Erdri. Uh, and yeah, Erdri. Yeah, I don't think we can always wrap our head around that. When you think about that, that what took, what takes 10 minutes now? Now it used to take one day. One day? Yeah. You know? Yeah, a full day to, to travel. Yeah, well, and yeah. we don't get to, I mean, we have bridges going over all that water and everything there. I mean, people had to portage and they had to get, you know, over the land and over the water then over the land. I mean, that's uh, pretty incredible, man. Yes. No doubt. Very cool. Thanks for listening. You bet. Guys, our next top listening city is actually a village in a suburb of Milwaukee, out on the banks of Lake Michigan there. And they say you have to be from here to know where it is. But if you get lost or you're looking for just some great family fun, just stop here and ask Yogi the Bear. Hey, boo-boo. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Jellystone Park. Bear Paw Beach and Adventure Islands are the places to visit. Man-made white sandy beaches, cool, clear water, and some and lots of adventure right here in Caledonia, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Man, Wisconsin guys are always on the board, man. You bet. Yogi Bear. And park <laughs> Ranger, sir. Yeah, there's a, a lot of Wisconsin, a lot of Wisconsin license plates. Oh man, oh, yeah. In guys, Mexico, a lot of them. Yeah, looking forward to having y'all back in the hills, Wisconsin. You betcha. Okay, uh, in our last city today, if snakes, especially rattlesnakes, are your ultimate fear, uh -huh. then you might need to avoid our next listening city. <laughs> if you're ever in the area in April, plan to attend the annual Rattlesnake Roundup. Three days of fun and, of course, captured rattlesnakes to see and fried rattlesnake meat to eat. And they are also home to what some claim as the world's largest painted rattlesnake statue, seven feet high and 14 feet long. 
Big shout out to Freer, Texas. Freer, Texas. Freer, Texas in Love the house. Love me now, some rattlesnake meat, buddy. <laughs> you hey, look, I've had it in I've had it in chili, and I've had it in a few other things that I probably didn't know what it was. But <laughs> rattlesnakes, good stuff. Now listen, Freer's about seventy five miles south of my deer lease where we deer hunting, and my son and I were at our deer camp, and I want y'all to take a look at that. I mean, that is some serious rattlesnake, six foot three inches long, and his head was big around as a major league baseball. I mean, Ooh. he was serious. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys can check that out, but yeah, we see these kind of rattlesnakes down here in South Texas can hurt you. They can so, hurt so, you. so, Gilbert, you don't think you could find any longer tongs there to hold that critter away from you? <laughs> I had him. I had him extended the whole way. Yes. <laughs> what's what's wild fellas is down in south texas now these rattlesnakes ain't rattling when i went after that rattlesnake he never rattled now he struck at me twice but he never rattled uh so finally i was going to try to catch him with my my loppers there and uh that was a futile effort because he just kept striking so we went to the glock <laughs> yeah and that fixed him <laughs> that would have been my preferred choice initial choice i hate snakes any snakes and you all know uh, how much i hate them and look I, I you know i've been in freer texas i took my daughter on her first hog hunt with her crossbow and she she harvested her first hog there but uh um yeah it's uh definitely a lot like south texas but she uh, it was funny because when we recovered that hog, man, that hog was covered in ticks and, and, and fleas. Uh -huh. And uh, she got covered in fleas. She didn't know what it was, and she freaked out. She had it in there and her hair her, and everything. Oh, <laughs> look, and, I, I, you know, snakes don't bother me. In fact, old brother Gilbert there and me were walking down the road, and one was climbing up a tree, and Ooh, I proceeded to go over there to grab it, and Gilbert, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Bull snake. <laughs> I hate him. And uh, but man, you you let a whole swarm of fleas get on me. I'm freaking. I, I... <laughs> she was freaking out, yeah. and uh, and yeah, I was trying to clean that hog too, and it was just they were all over me too. It was a mess. But uh... I, I tell you, man, a really funny story. So Luis worked with this guy at Marathon. His name is Pete Langel. We call him the crazy canadian along with steve tucker i mean really pete's uh he's he's from nova scotia so he don't even like to be called canadian right but at the end of the day <laughs> he went on his first nil guy hunt and uh down in south texas there on uh the kennedy ranch with me and <laughs> he got to tracking a nil guy that he'd shot through some really tough country right <laughs> you've all been down in south texas and seen the kind of country that i'm talking oh about. yeah so heck yeah y'all know i mean uh, what i'm talking about when it's really tough country so he was down on all fours like Brer rabbit looking for blood and everything <laughs> else right and uh i'm telling you straight up oh pete come back to the camp and and he was like <laughs> Man, I'm kind of itching all over. Dude, I ain't lying. I've never in my life seen as many seed ticks in my life. And if you've never seen a seed tick, oh, I have, it yeah. is, it, it, they are like thousands upon thousands. Remember, of we ticks hit that oak brush all and they got over. all over our pants. Leg. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were inside his legs, on his neck, under his armpits, oh. in his belly button. We had to put him in a big bath of, of peroxide water, and, and we went and got a whole bunch of tomatoes and <laughs> chopped them up and everything and put him in that. And I mean, That's 
Oh, <laughs> and then we poured two bottles of camphor so, in there, and man, right, he sat I just got to ask like you, dude. Well, well, you <laughs> you put tomatoes in there, and <laughs> yeah, that citric, that acid from the tomatoes make them want to get off you. They don't want to stay on you. Yeah. So, man, he 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 picked ticks for a day and a half. Oh, geez, <laughs> he ain't never going back to South Texas oh, without heat. <laughs> 100% deep. He could give a damn fake smell him or not. He's, he's, he is washing himself down with deep. Dude, it's crazy. You're telling the story and I'm itching. I love my buddy uh, Pete, man. That, we've actually had that happen in the Elkwoods. Um, go buy a um, scrub oak that was infested with those baby ticks. I mm-hmm. mean, tiny, tiny. And it just looked like a wave of red on your pants when you hit that. And and again, I told you I freaked, man. I'm like <laughs> I'm like taking my clothes off, everything out in the woods, man. So oh man, I don't like those things. All right, let's get nah, into our content. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. Ready. All right, let's rock and roll. So, um, like Gilbert said, so many hunters out there, so many of you guys are so worried about not being able to scout, getting feet on the ground, and then finding yourself hiking, you know, aimlessly for five or seven days. And that, I mean, that's a huge fear. You come all the way out here and, and you just don't know what to do. You don't know where to look. Or even worse, you end up going so deep into the wilderness to find an elk that if you did kill one, the pack out could become a nightmare situation. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we want to do is, is, um, uh, I want to thank Felipe Perez for for this, and you're going to actually see another question of his down below again. But this kind of inspired where we're going to start tonight because you can feel that fear. I mean, you can understand. You guys did. are like, well, what do I do? I, where do I start? How you know? And and we, even though we've talked about a lot of this, it seems like especially guys that are just now tapping into the podcast. They're loving what they're hearing, but they're hearing stuff about calling. They're hearing stuff about uh, our setups, and they're like, well, but what if I don't find anything, you know? So, guys, we're going to try to help you out with that. And and I want to tell you, first of all, number one, you have to do your research. It, the only thing, it, it's kind of like when you're nervous about finding elk, it's kind of like that whole confidence thing when you step up to bat and you haven't practiced your game you haven't practiced your swing you haven't taken a look at how the other pitcher pitches during the game you haven't seen balls coming at you you don't know what a curve you don't you know uh and so you don't have that sense of confidence that you can go out there because i tell you i think in fact my wife gets a little upset with me because I will go on vacation. We go to Washington state. We're out there looking at Mount St. Helens and I know exactly where to go with the glasses. And I'm there. And all of a sudden I said, Oh, there they are. And she's like, there, who are, you know, I was like right down there. And she goes, only you, man. I mean, I, I, it doesn't matter where I go. I know the places to look for elk. You just know, where elk want to be at certain times of the day and i know man if i'm in the evening that i know that these critters and i'm up high they're coming out down low they're going to come into feed they're hitting areas with water they're going to hit the dispersed areas they're a lot easier to spot in that way so it's just 
having that information. So you got to do the work, first of all, man. Um, you got to do your research. And if that means calling game biologists in, in the area there, uh, if that means going out and stalking the elk hunting forums, and, and, and I can tell you guys, do not go on an elk hunting forum and go, I'm hunting unit 456, and I, I just threw that number out there so it didn't hurt anybody in their unit. <laughs> I'm hunting unit 456, and uh, does anybody know a good place to go? Because it, people want you to do your own work. That's like when we get letters all the time. We get letters from people that are coming to New Mexico or going to Colorado, and they, they tell us their unit, and they're like, do you think you could give me some information on that unit? And really, we're not in the information business. We're in the business of teaching you how to get your own information, teaching you how to understand where elk are, teaching you how that's to right. do the research and how to scout. You know, that's going to pay bigger dividends. It's the whole um, teach a person to fish or give them a fish thing, mm. right? So... Um, you got to do that research. And, and that, if that means e-scouting, all right, so let's cover e-scouting first. And, guys, what do we mean by e-scouting? Well, you is know, your, uh, Google Earth or using BaseMap right. and any other uh, app that uh, can give you an idea of what the country looks like. Uh, you can find uh, watering holes. You can find uh, – what you would call an escape route, you know, where uh, a valley between two peaks, perhaps, that leads to and from water. Uh, and, uh, you know, maps to show the topography so you can tell, you know, what's what's a, a meadow at the bottom of a hill or how steep a hill is, even though, you know, when you get there, it's steeper <laughs> than what the t topography shows you and everything's uphill. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a start there. And, of course, you want to access it somehow so you gotta gotta learn your roads or at least have an idea how the roads run in that area that you're at you know that's that's a start Wait, I, I, yeah, understand I, your topography um and just, understand just make sure it'll be steeper than you think yeah um uh, make sure you just understand the different layers uh with with those software uh, you know, base map has a ton of layers that you can use to kind of oh, yeah. understand Satellite the land. Are awesome. Yeah, well, and then you, and then make it shows you where water is, right? I mean, there's a layer yeah, that shows you where water is on on base yeah. map and and so creeks and 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 all that stuff. And then you can also um, uh, you got drawing tools, right? So draw you maps and draw you areas of interest and and make sure you mark wallows and stuff like that. So when you're out there. And you first start walking the area, you kind of have a sense of the layout in your head of how where things are, and then you use that that phone as a reference. And um, yeah, so definitely, like you said, Chav, Google Earth is a great tool, especially if you combine it properly with you know uh, tools like BaseMap. Uh, they're going to help you out a lot. Look, guys, I, and when it comes to wallows, people are like, "Well, how do I know?" And if you don't know what a wallow is, a wallow is an uh, is a wet area. It could be a pool, um, but a lot of times it's just it's it's wet, moist, has some water, it's around a spring, it's on the side of a creek or something like that, where elk will go in and they'll get it all muddied up and mix that mud up and and they will wallow in that. I mean, if you've ever seen them and they'll lay in it, they'll they'll drag their horns around and they'll throw the mud and they get that on there it helps get it 
gets some of their odor on them. It spreads their odor. It cools them off. It helps to keep the bugs off of them. Uh, I've got some video of a buddy of mine of, of a bull just laying in a wallow like <laughs> that dude's like relaxing like he's he's on a four-day drunk in that thing, man. I mean, he's just having a good old time. But if if you want to find where wallows are when you're doing – e-scouting you're not going to be able to see an actual wallow but what you can see is you can see springs in and if you look at the topography and you see a spring that's in a steep area there's no way there's going to be a wallow there but where it comes out and it bottoms out in any kind of grass or you can see a, a type of bench where it where that spring is running in there or you get down in the bottoms what i call bottom country in the bottom of a canyon where that will flatten out in there and get very grassy they will wallow all along those springs and all along those small creeks especially small creeks that because it's a perfect situation to have a little bit of water flow in to really get it muddied up and to get them on the side and they will produce wallows all over the place uh, if you can find a spring that's up in trees uh, by looking at some of these maps where they show springs starting and there is if you look at the topography and remember when you look at the lines the wider the lines are from each other the flatter the area is now I will tell you that with a, whether you're on base map or you're on Onyx or you're on Google Earth, um, you want to zoom in as close as possible, and you're still going to see those topography lines are still going to not really show you exactly the steepness of that detail. So if you want to look for a place that's flat, you really need some space in between. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, that's just something for you to look at. But you know, Luis brought up a, a perfect point, and so did Chav. And oh, by the way, I, I don't think I've ever heard Chav talk that long ever. So that, <laughs> that was pretty, that was pretty like cool. Ian, we're gonna listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when you locate the roads, so there are roads that are going to be shown on any of these applications. They're going to show you roads that have been um, already graphed out or GPSed out or something like that, right? But there are a lot of roads that are not going to show up, and that's where you want to zoom in and you want to go in as far as you can on that detail and start looking for those two tracks. Start looking for uh, the logging roads. Start looking for trails. Anything that you can see that is cutting through an area, and you mark those. If they are accessible by a vehicle, mark vehicle roads one color, trails another one because it, this like Louis says you start going in there and you start marking oh here's a rub here's a rub here's a wallow here I found some fresh droppings then you can start taking a look at where you're at in according to these roads and what's great about having your roads all mapped out is now you're able to find the holes because Felipe has a a, a really good fear and that that fear well i don't know if it's a good fear but in that he doesn't want to get caught. valid valid fear valid there yeah. you go thank you I, I need somebody from venezuela to help me out that's right so uh, <laughs> uh a valid fear that it's just him and his wife hunting now he gets caught killing a bull six miles in in some of this country he's in trouble right because that, especially if he ends up with warm weather, if he has any, if he's in a situation where it's hard to find a cool place uh, 
to or a plan to get that animal out of there. It could be a nightmare for him. So by looking at this situation where you have your roads, what I tell people is, is you want to look for those holes between those roads that are no more than two miles off to the middle. Those are the areas that people drive around and buy all the time. Okay. And yep. we can we tell people. We kill a lot of elk in, the, in between those areas like that. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I, I talked to another guy about an area in New Mexico, and I said I said something about a particular hole, and he goes, you know what, last year that's exactly where we found this bull, and everybody was driving by him. And the bull's screaming. Nobody ever hears him because nobody's ever hunting him. They're just driving by him. So uh, those are the places to look. And, guys, if you can find the trifecta, if you can find water, if you can find that north and northeast-facing timber, if you can find open areas to feed in those areas – now you're starting to hit places that you need to mark as a prime spot. So what Felipe needs to do, what all you guys need to do is do your homework. And when you go into your area, it, because Felipe's other question earlier was, um, <clears throat> it had something to do with picking out a spot, and we're going to get to that. But uh, when you have these areas, you start looking for all of these types of places and marking them as your first and second choice. Now, when first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, all right, okay, mark all your choices, have all your plans. Now, when you get boots on the ground, when you get boots on the ground, now you have some other things that you can do. And, and I'll tell you, let's go to those holes first of all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with those first. You can take one of those holes and you can hit it first thing in the morning. If it's not any good, you don't see any sign, you're not smelling elk, you're not finding fresh droppings, you're not seeing fresh rubs, then get the heck out of there um, and then go to your plan B in the evening, man. Go start checking yeah. it out. What, one of the things I like to do, Joe, uh, when I'm uh, looking for pigs in public land is um, I got the whole layout of the area, uh, the public land area, and then I decide, okay, what areas have I explored and which ones I haven't, and then just kind of select the area that I want to investigate and look at and kind of draw myself some sort of a trail through where I think I can get through to get to that point and just leave it in the, in the, in the app. So I draw it and leave it in the app. And when I'm out, like you said, boot up, boots on the grounds, I have some sort of a guidance of, okay, this is the direction I need to take to get there. So I kind of draw myself a little line of where I want to go and what path I want to follow. That helps me a lot. So that might want, be another option too. I want guys to make sure that when you hit that first day, you hit it aggressively. Uh, and what I mean is, man, you cover country. You have to cover country. Do not get out there moving slow. Yes, you can call, you can cow call, you can bugle. And that's the other thing. And don't forget, Felipe, that elk at the time of year you're going to be there. And I believe he's going from the 2nd to the 10th. Well, the second, you might end up having bulls coming in on you silently, right? Um, time, but yeah. it was the second. It was the second of September when we killed two bulls in mm -hmm. less than forty-five minutes, right? Right. Screaming. So that can also happen uh, because, guys, the rut, the rut, and a rut are two different things. Okay, a rut can happen at any time. All it takes is what, guys? One cow to pop. <laughs> That's it. 
one hot cow, man, and it's on, right? Or for a bull to think there's a hot cow and, and he's and he's ready, right? So don't forget when you're moving, hitting that country, elk give themselves away. They're verbal, so they're going to help you out. And get with the program. Cover that country. Look for the sign. Use your eyes. Use your nose. Use your ears, man. Use all your senses. And if you're not finding anything, get out of Dodge. Go to plan B, okay? Right. Do that. All right. What are some other things, guys, that we could do with boots on the ground? With boot, as far as east scouting or putting boots on the ground? No, boots on the ground. Once we're in the area. Yeah, man. I mean, so once we're in an area, you know, we're looking for pinch points. We're looking for funnels. Uh, we're looking for places that are off from the feeding areas. And then Fine. we're looking for food, right? I mean, we're, we're actually looking for food source and we're looking for sign on the ground, right? Absolutely. We're using our nose to try and smell them. Uh, so many times Joe and myself have been in the woods, me and Chab, and we'll come across and all of a sudden, bang, it, it hits us in the face like a crappy mob. I mean, it is, it's elk scent, right? And we know they've been there. So we use all of our senses, sight, nose, hearing, the whole nine yards to decipher while we're in an area and our boots are on the ground, you know? You, you almost and, have uh, to hunt we, like a cat hunter. Uh, we do, and, and we, and you know, I got one speed, guys, and it's slow. But that I think is an advantage at times because I don't walk over stuff, you know, and I don't, I don't blow through things. Uh, we have an, we have an advantage to where when we need to go, we can, and and get there, not a problem. But I, I, I like to hunt slow, moving methodically, seeing what's in front of us. Number one, man, like I said, it's uphill everywhere we go anyway. <laughs> 9, so, yeah, uh, so true. You know, it's up uphill both ways. So for me, pacing myself is number one. And number two, new areas is something I love to decipher because that's places we had never been. And I tell myself all the time when I'm, when I'm fishing or whether I'm hunting or anything, even when I was in the field as a field salesman in, uh, in the oil field, I got to get lost to find my way. So for me, that's how I feel. If I can just go and, and then not worry about where I'm going to be, because we got such good electronics now, base map, Onyx. I mean, we're just not going to get lost, you know, when we can download that stuff. I mean, we should be able to go wherever we want to go and have that fear off our back. And you brought you know, up a good point and, because one of the things Felipe followed up was, you know, how far should I have hiked in off the trailhead before I start hunting or heading off the trail? You know, stuff like that. And I was right like, there. I was like, well, first of all, don't go to a trailhead. You know, that's where everybody else is going. You know, you, yeah. you stop on that road uh, and the road. And when I say road, y'all, um, you got to understand a road can be a paved yeah, one. Track. Yeah. It can be a two track. It can be a basically a, a riverbed right and mm -hmm. the areas that we hunt our roads are a lot like riverbeds but you know you can instead of getting to a trailhead you can stop in some of those areas and dive off park on the side of the road in places that people are driving by because everybody goes to a trailhead they want to be secure they're not going to be gutsy they're not going to get lost like what gilbert's saying and and you're not going to get lost if you have that uh gps app if you have base map with you if you have onyx with you if there's a, a lot of all those whatever tool works for you okay a compass a compass there's some guys that are really good old school with that and a map too you know um 
whatever it takes, you know, stop in those areas ahead of time to find those. So one thing I told him is, bud, don't go to the trailhead. And, and then he asked, he said, well, you know, if I give a bad uh, bugle or a bad cow call, am I going to scare the elk out of the country? And first of all, y'all, there's no such thing as a bad bugle because the worst bugles I've ever heard is, is a bull elk. So yeah. uh, don't worry about yeah. that. That's right. right. Some of the rankest bugles are like, whoa, what's that, man? Yeah. 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 And yeah, he'll, probably, the... he'll, probably, he'll probably feel better if you ever hurt me. Bugle. <laughs> and we've made the mistake uh, many a times uh, hearing a bugle thinking it's a human and yeah. then follow up when in reality it was actually an elk. Right. And then if Rule you get, number one for Joe Gillia's uh, school, if you hear an elk, you go find out if it is an elk. Check it out. Yep. Got to check it out. Now, if you get back to camp and you haven't heard anything, you know, get a nice meal and then wait an hour or so and then go back up and uh, do some night bugling. Yeah, absolutely. And and we'll hit on the night bugling, but I, I wanted to finish on the, the calling. And he asked, what about the cow calls? Now, let me tell you, a cow call can mess you up. If you're in tight on an animal, you have a bad cow call. All I tell people yeah. is this, never end on a bad cow call. So like, if you give one, follow up till you have a good one because that animal remembers the last thing it hears, okay? If you're just mm -hmm. going to give a bad one and just leave it at that, that's what you're giving them. That's what they're listening to. So if I throw out a bad one, man, I hit with another one and another one so that I give them a, a better better call to leave them with, okay? So that's just something to remember like that. The cow calls can hurt you a little bit more. I mean, you get in on some animals close and you throw a, you know, mm. a, a gato, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, can, it can mess you up a little bit. But the bugles, yeah. no, you don't have to worry about that. So, Chav, you were saying about the night bugling, and, and that's the other thing when you get boots on the ground if you're not locating, right? Yeah, get on top of a ridge that, mm -hmm. you know, overlooks two areas or three areas and, and uh, do some night bugling. You know, the elk will feel a lot more secure at nighttime. You know, they, they don't think they'll see any or they're not afraid of humans at night. You know, they have other worries. <laughs> but they're more at ease and, uh, you know, they'll tend to bugle anyway. Do you know what elk have learned about humans? We go to bed. <laughs> yeah, they're and, real programmable for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. man. I mean, take a look at them when, when they start coming around your tent screaming at night, right? Uh, I don't, you know, uh, or they go around houses in a community or they go around places in a city. I mean, those guys are, they are intelligent animals man that that really know what they're doing and so when you get I out there and walk down the street at estes park oh yeah <laughs> just walk right down main street they ain't scared of the soul yeah so much for human scent freaking them out right okay yeah There's a lot more in that city than just human scent right but uh you know guys do that night bugling go out there and locate that's one thing and and like i said earlier i said sometimes you got to hunt like a cat hunter and what i mean is this cat hunters man they they hit the roads and they go, 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 go until they cut a track. So cut a track. On, on dirt roads around areas, cruise them looking for tracks in mud or dirt that will give you information, man. And uh, you can actually go around some areas. There might be an area inside there two miles in that you might be able to circle in your truck, check in the mud holes, the dirt, the road to see if you have track coming in and out of that area. And that's going to give you information. It's what we call yeah, cutting how fresh a dung pile you find. Yeah. You know? I mean, yep. if it's still steaming, you know, boy, you, you hot on them, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, and, and another thing about the night bugling guys, 
if you not bugle up on a big ridge and you hear another elk up on a big ridge, that's a that's a hunter. Those elk aren't up on them big ridges at night. They're down right. in the bottom. Right. So if you hear another bugle up top, 99.9% of the time, that's just another human. Yeah, so it kind of tells you right when you hear one down in the bottom, you you know that that. Yeah, put them if to it's bed. down in the bottom, you ready, buddy. Yeah, yeah. put them to bed just like you roost a turkey. Uh, yeah. Get out there a couple hours before daylight, get in position, and, and locate that bull again. You already know where they're at down there. So, uh, guys, if you just understand uh, where elk are going to be, what their needs are, they have to have food. They have to have water. And the bulls at this time during the rut, they don't need security. Their mind is on one thing. Their mind is on breeding. But just remember this. It is not the bulls that control where they're at. It's the cows. And the cows have got to eat because they have to get ready to birth a, a healthy calf, man. So um, if you know what their needs are and you're you're looking in those areas that meet those needs you're going to find animals and and again too sometimes one area where you don't find them today yep could be there tomorrow could be there tomorrow you know especially um if you have areas where um a, a higher up area and and there's some canyon down below and you have bad weather that comes in they will drop down into those drainages for protection, just like you would. They don't want to expose themselves to weather. So uh, those are just things for you guys to remember. So I hope that helps you out, Felipe. I hope that helps some of you guys that are having some of those worries. Oh, and the the one thing that uh, about the pack out, don't go six miles in. Do that two-miler. And uh, and hold yourself to that. Don't go any deeper than two miles. I'm telling you, you don't need to go any deeper than two miles to kill elk. There's a lot of elk killed half mile, mile off a road that everybody's driving by. And for you yeah. guys that if you do plan on going deep, Gilbert, you had talked about another option. Yeah, I, you know, in looking at these questions, if you guys are planning on, you know, packing in, going in a long way, uh, there are services around where you're going to be hunting that will rent alpacas, horses. They will actually come help you pack your animal out if you get an animal down. But you need to have that set up prior to you, you know, probably knocking an animal down six, eight miles back in there where it's real thick. Uh, just reach out to the guys that have businesses in that area and say, hey, look, guys, you know, can we contract y'all if we knock an animal down to, to come out and, and help us with the recovery? And yeah, look, there are plenty of and and they do that service, man. They'll do it um, where, you know, either they come in and check on you where you're at camp and you have it hung up, and then they'll pack it out for you. Uh, guys, anywhere from, it depends. They'll, some guys do it for $300, $400 a, a critter. Um, some people do it on a time basis. Some do it just on an animal basis. So ask those yeah, questions. And some of them will rent you the alpacas. Uh, I've got some friends of mine that have used alpacas and uh, horses. They rent you the, the alpacas or the horses, and you take them in with you. And right, I mean, that's cool. You get an alpaca in there, and he can haul a bunch of meat. You know, but you, so. you know, Felipe, you and your wife, man, um, two miles in—that is doable. It might take you three trips, yeah. and you got to make sure you've got you know that meat taken care of, deboned and hanged, and stuff like that, and and you can make it happen. But you're gonna have to take your time. And I and I want to tell you guys another thing: after you have an animal down and you're packing meat, that is a time to be very careful, especially if you're hauling anything at night. 
I recommend to always take those clear plastic safety glasses that you have in your garage that cost like, like two bucks um, just to put on so that you don't end up with a stick in your eye. Uh, yep. I, I'm telling you to get yourself we some of them. On our backs. Get, get some trekking poles so that you've got four points on the ground. Take your time. Be sure-footed. Um, going downhill is more dangerous than going uphill. It don't hurt as much, but it it it's it's more dangerous. So, you know, you take you hit your time. The yeah, yeah. Make sure that you guys uh, take care of yourself with that. So, guys, let's go to Elk Bros mailbox and uh, Chad. You gonna awesome. handle the first one? Okay. The first uh, question comes from Bob Norton from Jefferson, South Dakota. And he says, not if, but when I have successfully put an elk <laughs> I love this. on the ground this fall, I have the game bags to quarter the elk and carry out. Once we get to the truck and put the meat on ice, are we taking the meat out of the game bags and go straight meat to ice? Do we toss the meat in while still in the game bags? Can we get by with one set of game bags for two tags? Nope, need two sets of game bags. And uh, this is my personal opinion. Take the take the meat and get it on ice immediately. Uh, yeah. Don't get don't leave the cheesecloth or game bags on the elk. You want to clean it up as good as you can after getting it out of the cheesecloth, and then get that sucker on ice, brother. And that I ice even, won't hurt that meat. I even recommend for you to debone it. Anything that you take weight. Uh, take weight out of your meat before you take it to the processor. You're saving yourself yeah. some money. So absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, how we have a little processing station in camp. I mean, <laughs> you know, last year we had it. We we figured it out too, fellas. So I mean, them them old bumblebees or those uh, sweat bees. I like to call them yellow jackets. They like to go get them a meal while you're uh, deboning your elk. Man, y'all need to find you a place where you can get to where those things ain't trying to crawl in your shirt and sting you and everything else. So. Um, we have a little system where we debone everything. And usually we can haul two bulls or we can haul a bull out in 250 quart ice, ice chest. Now you need another one for your cape and your, uh, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, generally you can get two in 150 quart ice chest, a big yeah. bull too. Yeah. So. And I, I usually, and I can debone. get one, I can get one in my 160 if I, if I debone it right, yeah, I get yeah. all that meat cut up. I can get it in there. But, yeah, we go straight meat to ice. We like it to be good and clean. Um, if if the ice starts to melt, we let, let that stand in an ice bath until we get back down out of the hills. We add ice to it. As long as we're keeping that uh, at a certain temperature, it's going to be all right. Uh, get it out of your game bags, like you said. Clean those game bags. You might be able to use them again, but I wouldn't count on it. I would definitely have. Uh, a set of game yep. bags per tag there, okay? Dean Rower from Mesa, Arizona. Uh, when you're hunting together, do you have hand signals you use together? If so, what do you have signals for? I can foresee where a hunter is 30 yards in front of the collar. The hunter can see the bull is uh, hung up, but the collar can't see that, uh, can see that, but can't see the hunter. <laughs> So the hunter hand signal for the caller to keep calling uh, and move further away so that the bull follows. Um, so I'm considering possible signals to have with my caller this fall. Uh, these are a few I've come up with. I'm curious if you have any must-have hand signals. And first of all, yes, we have hand signals. 
Um, mm -hmm. I think every year, depending on who we're with, our signals change and develop accordingly so that we can communicate. But yeah, ours um, isn't in Spanish. <laughs> 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 but you know, uh, whenever, like for example, he has some different ones. Like he has look in a certain direction, and yeah. and we always we use we use where we put. Our, our fingers sometimes just like at our eyes like and we'll ask each other do you see something like that do you see something or we can go like that and point in a direction that I see something and tell somebody to look in a certain direction uh, don't move that usually ends up <laughs> that's like <laughs> yeah, just, yeah freeze <laughs> get your butt there don't move man freeze <laughs> and, and, and we have one that's pretty reliable it's called a pine cone <laughs> when, when, oh, the pine cone. when we spot an elk but our leader has them we just grab one and hit him in the back yeah <laughs> that, mean, that means a freeze <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, uh point. it's definitely one with joe when sometimes you go yo joe Joe, Joe, Joe! <laughs> <laughs> Fine, going. <laughs> uh, just grab the pack, man. I just tell people, just grab the pack, man. That'll stop. Uh, if you can, if you can catch it, you know, then you can grab the pack. Yeah. <laughs> so, and look, here's what I'm telling you guys too. Uh, you learn to be physical with each other, not just hand directions. I, I, I do this all the time when I'm guiding guys. Like, if I have somebody in front of me and I need them to freeze, I don't just grab their pack because. Uh, when they feel their pack like resist, they think something it's like hung in something. I grab their pack and I put my hand on their shoulder, you know, from behind so that they know that I've locked them in, that I've stopping them. And, mm -hmm. and they get that idea right away. Now, if you're apart from each other, the stop signal, man, just with the hand works great. You just, just the how, you know, put that hand up and just stop them just like that. Now you have one where the, keep calling when we're split up we have um signals for a bugle and a cow call both for when we hear one and when we want person to give one so when when we when we hear a bugle you know we just use the old texas you know the texas hand thing but we do it in the direction uh, of a bugle just like that that we hear a bugle and then they'll point like for example if it's in the morning and we don't want to be talking we're kind of split yeah They'll, they'll say they hear a bugle, they'll point in the direction, and then they'll give us a four or a three or a five. And we know that that's um, a particular amount of yards, right? Okay. And usually I point in one direction and Manano points in a different direction. And then Joe, <laughs> so just, Joe just goes in the middle. Joe just goes through the middle between the two. And, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get that's it how we get out there. as we get closer, man. Because <laughs> And I have to walk through them because the argument that ensues, I just got to, I got to get it out of there. But, and so if we want to keep calling that, like if we want somebody to do a bugle, they'll just hold that up and do a bugle. A cow call for us. We just do just like this. So basically it's kind of like a little Muppet hand thing where your thumb becomes the bottom of the mouth and the rest of the hand up on the top. That that we know is a cow call. So if somebody hears a cow call, they'll do that and they'll point in a direction just like that. Or if they're up above and they want us to cow call, they'll give us that for us to cow call. Okay, so that's something to do there. To move away. Um, I don't know how many times we've done where we've told somebody to move away. Uh, if we want them to move up forward, 
and and actually to keep going what will happen is and is that guy will be there and as the caller i will move up to that person and then send them up now if they are in a situation where they are going to move up on their own Three cow calls is a great way to let me know that they're moving up so that I know that I can move up. Plus, when they give three cow calls, they are actually now giving cow calls where a caller would be and they're moving up so they're not being pegged where those cow calls are. So it's not a hand signal. It's a more of a verbal because we're not able to see. So if guys want me to do a bugle, all they got to do is just that Texas thing turn the other way just like that or uh or the the rad whatever you know surfers hmm. use all that right so they just do just like that to give a bugle all right um uh raking we've never used one for raking like that you know generally we hear something like that i mean you can real easy do something that you create that where is just you know <laughs> i don't know where is it you know um Let's close the distance. Again, that's going to be something where I'm going to go up to the person. There's not going to be something that I am necessarily signaling for them to do. If I want them to close the distance, I want to get in their hip pocket and send them up in front of me so that now we can see each other again. All right. Um, oh, get ready is a good one because if the way that I signal for my guys to get ready is if I'm going up and an animal screams and I know he's coming <clears throat> in, I immediately point to where I want them to set up, man. I mean, yeah. I'm like, you point, you point at each one of us first and then just indicate which one needs to go where. Right. Exactly. So that tells them immediately to get in position and get ready. And what I hate as a guide is if a person I'm telling, I point to a spot to get, to get ready and they start taking their time and looking around and no, Man, if you got to get ready, get your butt ready. Get over there, get in position, get down. We ain't got all day, man. We've got to make I'm sure it you're talking about Manano now. No, Manano. I've got to say, bro, Manano's 100% with a tag in his pocket. So <laughs> I got to just. No doubt. I, when that cat shows up, things going to die. Yeah, that's Trump's right. Going to die. I'll have to. I'll have to admit that's the case. Yeah. Dude, dude's a dude's an assassin. Yeah. And, and like I said, if um, direction and distance we talked about, or um, if we see something, if we see something, we're doing just like that that we see and we're pointing. We're just letting each other know that we see them, and that tells the other person, you know, to be checking that area. So it's it's a great idea to have those communication set up ahead of time um like for example the other thing is the flying v or the power i you know when we want to get set up go ahead luis yeah no um i was just wanting to circle back to like his question about you know we had something like that happen last year you know we were down there and you know the bulls were out there hung up far away and you were back up in the hill just you screaming and bugling and we're like man nothing's going to happen here so you could see us but you know you probably couldn't see further past to where we were seeing and and so how do you how do you communicate at that point it's so basically actually, how do you tell that person to go back and, and, and no actually out. i totally saw, i could see everything that was happening i had full okay. view of what was going on and in a situation where you're in a caller um, and shooter situation, 
that shooter has to stay in position until that caller comes down and calls it off. All right. Now, if if the the if the shooter sees something happen that freaks the animal out and they blow out of there, then they need to give their three cow calls, man, so that that got, that person knows to move up to come to where that person is. Okay. So that's just telling me when I hear those three cow calls and you can do them repetitiously, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because it might even calm other animals in the area. Okay. So that's something for you to do. I love the three cow call design. We know that that's, Hey, that's a signal that, you know, something's going on. And especially if you got a caller and, you know, even 200 situations and they need to make a move, you know, the caller knows that, Hey, I need to come back to where that three calls were, yep. you know? So, I mean, that's, it's solid. I, I think that's a solid deal. It covers the hunters and it covers the caller too. Yep. This from, uh, Jeremy, uh, Gorgeson in okay. Greeley, Colorado. He's, yeah, or Georgeson. I don't know if it's Georgeson. Yeah, Georgeson. Or, there you it, go. It, yeah, if I butchered that, Jeremy, I apologize. You just got to understand that we're a little challenged down here in H-Town in Texas. I grew up in the country, so, you know, I'm going to butcher things every now and then. But I know where Greeley, Colorado is, uh, and you guys are in the, in the heart of the Rocky Mountains there. So, uh, beautiful country. Uh, appreciate you uh, sending your question in. He says, hey, guys. Is there any way you can go over what a typical overnight looks like away from camp? If you get, uh, if you get an elk into elk and want to stay with them through the night up here in Colorado, temps can be pretty cold twenties or less during the season. Do you pack everything you might need every hunt to stay out or do y'all head, head back and get essentials and hope to find the elk again? What are some of the necessities obviously while packing light, uh, this will be my fourth season and looking to better my odds. Thanks for all the wisdom and the passion. So the times that we've done that, Jeremy, um, we've done a couple of things. You can ba basically um, pack spike camp with you. So you've got a uh, light tent, uh, you've got your bag and, and you, you know, you got your ground thing and you've got it on a pack and you're going to a place and, and you're going to actually maybe stay in an area to spike out. That's not actually, I think, what you're talking about as far as – now, that's an overnight away from camp, and we've done that a lot of times. And, right. And we'll do it in areas where we know the animals are staying at night, and we get up in the morning right on them instead of being from our, our main camp. But there's been times when we've gone out, and um, we have actually slept in our clothes out with the animals. And you're right. It can get doggone cold. So – you better have the right layers with you at night, and it helps if you can get something so that you're not directly on the ground. Um, so if you have something, I, and I like to keep a, a vest with me that's a, a neoprene vest that sometimes I'll, I'll use that, and I'll use my pack as a pillow. But we don't get as cold, and it just depends on the time of year and where we're going. Uh, so we actually do do two different things. We have the one where we're taking a very light back camping tent with a very light bag and we're staying out that way um, or we're moving with the animals and generally when we're doing that they're moving across areas at night and so we're not really we're kind of stopping sitting and sleeping getting up and traveling sitting and sleeping like that now we've done it where 
we've slept in the bottom of an area until animals cross across and we can smell them or come into the area. We've done that as well. We've done different techniques to be able to locate them at night, especially if they're not sounding off. But uh, I, I would tell you that if you're going to travel with the herd, you don't have to worry as much about the temperature other than making sure you have layers and you still sleep when you can. It's not easy. It takes a toll on you. But if you'll sleep when the animals are sleeping um, during the day and then you move when the animals are moving, you can catch up with some of that sleep. Uh, so that's basically what we do. Thanks for um, your question, Jeremy. Uh, I'm going to, the next one is uh, Chris Fichtel out of Los Alamos, New Mexico. Yep. So, yeah, yeah I think this is awesome, awesome. man. Uh, Chris is just right down the road from us, not too far, actually. And he says, I enjoyed your solo hunting series a lot, but one question I still have is on the setup for a single hunter in an early season scenario. One thing I've heard is that after every call or set of calls in your close to far sequence, while just walking, you should move off roughly 20 to 30 yards towards the downwind side and wait 10 to 15 minutes in case a bull comes in silent to the spot you were calling from. What do you think about this tactic? And Chris, um, I never worry. When, when I'm solo and I'm working and I'm doing calling and I'm moving, I don't worry about L patterns when I'm traveling and calling. Uh, it seems like when I'm moving and calling, that really sells it a whole lot more, especially when I'm using cow calls. Now, if I'm in a stationary setup and I'm challenging a bull, then that bull is more apt to circle because bulls have been called in by guys already screaming bugles, man. They've already been to that rodeo. So uh, now they're a little bit educated and they're mostly circling because they want to check it out before they commit themselves. But when I am moving and calling, I don't worry about L patterns. So when I talk about L pattern, we do that with, I do that as a single. So if I'm going in and I have a bull that responds and I give a screaming bugle, a lot of times I will move up hard 40 yards and a little bit to the downwind side. So that if that bull tries to circle or if he has pegged me further back, he's actually going to come in closer before that ball, before that bull hangs up. Okay, so um, I will do that at that time. But a lot of times what I'm doing when I'm solo is we use that where we throw the call behind us. So uh, I'm actually, you can, guys, if you don't know this, I don't know if I've mentioned this a few times, but you can steer elk. You can actually steer them in the direction. I do it all the time guiding. So if I have a bull that is coming in and, he, he's looking for me because I've shut up once I've seen him. You don't have to keep calling all the time. I've shut up because I know the bull's already coming and looking. And he starts to move off to the left in a direction that's going to take him out of my shooting lanes. I will take my grunt tube, aim behind me, turn it in the opposite direction that he's going, and I'll let out one little cow call. And he'll hear that and actually turn and come back in the direction because he's not sure where I'm at. And he's looking for it. And all of a sudden he hears this cow call while he's walking. He doesn't really peg it because he's making noise, but he knows what direction it came from. And you can steer him. I've done it a, a lot of times. Okay. Next question comes from Cole Wilkes from Burnett, Texas. Well, so, Chad, before you go in here, um, this is actually not a question. And, and Cole... Um, sent this in, and, and, and I, I apologize. 
uh, for that. But Cole basically said, and, and the reason I'm going to go ahead and hit this is because he said, I want to correct Joe <laughs> from the podcast back in April. So when a bull is glunking, it means that he has a cow in heat or coming into heat that his tongue hitting the, that it's the, his tongue hitting the roof of his mouth, tasting her scent. This is not a noise he makes to other bulls or, uh, or cows. Also, when a bull pants, he is warning a competitor bull to stay back that he means business. Most of the times you won't hear these sounds unless there's a hot cow. And, and the first thing, I, I, I sent a letter back to Cole, and I said, Cole, thanks, man. I'm always up for learning because everything that I talk about, I'm not a scientist, and I'm not a biologist. Everything that I talk about is from things that I have actually seen out in the woods and experienced and put two and two together. Now, when he talks about the glunking, I never knew how they made the sound. I just know I wanted to repeat it because whenever I use that sound in a rut fest or a hot cow scenario, it definitely worked to bring animals in. Um, but at the same time, I have heard that sound when bulls, and I knew there was a hot cow because a bull was tending. And when I say tending, that means a bull is working his cows around them. He's smelling them. He's keeping them together because he is waiting for a cow to come in heat. So, Or there's a cow in heat that he's working. So he's tending those cows, keeping them together. Now, I have seen it when bulls are screaming and a bull is doing that. And I've also seen it when a bull is glunking with just his cows up in the timber. So that's where it's hard to tell if he has a hot cow because there was no other bulls. It just seemed like he was tending and keeping them together. Yeah, and I, I'd like to interject a little bit for Mr. Wilkes. I personally saw a huge fight uh, between six different bulls. Two bulls were in a huge war, and uh, they fought into a deadfall that I was actually in. I was actually <laughs> looking for a bull that I had arrowed uh, a couple of hours previous. And I, I really just stumbled into this bedroom and these bulls converged in there. And so I will tell you, they will glunk with other bulls around them. There were no, no cows there at the time, but there were six bulls that were fighting and going crazy. Now there were cows below us. I could hear them, uh, mewing and, and, and cow calling and, and stuff below us and before you know it the whole herd's up there because they hear the fight right and uh, these bulls are just going at it and the panting i heard was right after the fight and both of them were like oh, oh. i mean they were just, exhausted they were exhausted and they were panting like crazy um so some of that panting is also posturing because a bull that walked in big huge six by six and when i tell you these were big bulls these were bulls in the 350 to 380 range, right, that were going at it. And this probably about a 340 bull walks in, big six by six, and all he's doing is glunking and panting at the other bulls. So I will tell you that I personally sat in on that session. I learned so much in that 30 minutes, not to mention I had to clean my britches up because when they fought <laughs> into that deadfall, I thought they were going to kill me, right? I mean, they had no clue I was there at all. Yeah. I mean – at one time, those Scott two Winter. bulls kicked dirt all over me. And, I mean, that's how close they were. So when I tell you that I've been, like, nose to nose with them, I've had some real personal encounters uh, that can 
that taught me about the, the panning and the glunking. I, it actually sounded like a trailer coming down a dirt road that had just a bunch of aluminum in it. And it was crazy the sound that they were making. But uh, Mr. Wilkes, I, I promise you they'll make it with other bulls around too. But I'm sure those cows below them is what started the fight. Oh, I, right? I guarantee but, you. Uh, and, and and I think Cole's exactly right here. I, I, I definitely think there's a hot cow in the area because, sure. yeah, I mean, that's just lighting them up and when, when all that stuff is happening. And the situation you were in was definitely there had to have been a hot cow in the area for those bulls to go at it like that. So Ooh, uh, Cool and, stuff, the cool input, though, because no I'm, I'm, I'm learning from it. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, man, um, I, I, that's why I always want to tell everybody, all of us, I learn something new, not only from other people, but from the animals every year. Things that I thought I knew, well, I, man, I'll scratch my head and go, what the heck happened there, you know? So, yeah. uh, no, we should all be ready to learn, and uh, heck yeah. definitely. So, I just wanted, I actually wanted to put this one here, because it wasn't a question, it, it was pretty much a correction or where he was adding, trying to help us out. And I just wanted sure. to thank Cole for doing that. Yeah, right? cool input. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, the next letter, uh, or the second question, I guess, from uh, Felipe Perez from Miami, Florida. He says, hey, what's up, brothers? One more question for you guys. I just got a limited elk tag to hunt a specific unit. After talking to the people at CPW, I was told my license is good to hunt only two units. Will I have a will I have better chances going over the counter and being able to hunt multiple units or should I stick with the units I got? It's my first time hunting elk and I'm a non-resident, so it's all new country for me. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again. And don't, yeah, don't worry about that part. We'll talk about that a little later. But uh you know, Felipe was up above there where we talked about it, and, and he was talking about how he was worried about uh, finding animals and, and hiking aimlessly. So my advice to Felipe in this is stick with your two units. You don't worry about needing more country to hunt because all you're doing now is complicating things, man. You're just creating more uh, of a daunting task to find elk, you know. Um for us in New Mexico, we're given a hunt unit, and if it's 40,000 acres, if it's 22,000 acres, that's it. We got to hunt it. So, and, and there's elk in it. So that's what I would tell you is, is, is I told him to make sure that he just stuck with his two units because uh, it's a limited draw. So there's going to, it's not over the counter, so that's going to limit some of that pressure that's in that area. And it's going to make him get to know that area more intimately than looking all over the country. So that, that was my two cents, y'all. Sound good? No, he's got a second part of his question down there, no, Joe. That, that's no, actually, that's actually another person. I just forgot to put the name in there. So, uh, oh, oh, I follow you. Yeah, yeah. So this is Scott <clears throat> that Winters. That question's solid. Yeah, yeah. You want to go ahead? This is from Scott Winters, by the way. You want to go ahead and, and uh, give us that one? Yeah, sure. So uh, he says, guys, I'm not sure if this is a question here or not. But there's one area in which uh, I really need to improve on my elk hunting. He says, I get elk fever bad, uh, and I'm not sure how to fix it. One of my goals for this year was to do so many 3D shoots as I could help make more shots 
and make it more automatic. Unfortunately, COVID shut my goal down, shut, shut down my goal. I'm shooting five days a week right now, but shooting is one thing I don't feel confident in when it comes to game time. I put my hunting partners out in front of me most of the time because I know they can make that shot. This year, however, I've decided to try solo hunting for part of the season because I feel like that's what I need to do. I need to figure out a way to get that first elk down cleanly and humanely. Any advice would be much appreciated. It sounds like you're shooting a whole bunch, and I'm not going to lie to people. Uh, I don't shoot every day. Uh, most, a lot of guys do. Um, I don't uh, because I can develop um, all kinds of bad habits, but that's just for me, right? I shoot once a week, twice a week. Uh, but now when I get closer to shooting to hunting time, I'm, I'm putting myself in situational shooting, right? Uh, I put myself in real narrow corridors. I put myself shooting off my knees probably 90% of the time. Uh, I shoot at, at extreme distances. Uh, so it makes those 40 yard shots uh, inside 40 yards look just like a walk in the park. And when I say extreme dis distances, I shoot 80, 90 yards. You know, uh, I have some places where I can do that. Our local bow shop, I think, has a 50-yard range. So that's – you get proficient at 50 yards and you've got a killing radius that's, that is lethal, right? Uh, what I would tell you is most of the guys I see that are not confident in their shooting is all about not understanding the elk's anatomy and where to place that shot. If I could tell you to do anything is go back and look and watch our podcast on, uh, on shot placement. It's the best one I've ever seen in my life. And if you'll focus on those areas of that animal to slip your arrow in and don't get too far extended, you're going to hear a lot of guys saying, oh, I shoot them out 60, 70 yards. Man, limit yourself. Limit yourself to 40 and in and working on getting in tight to a, to a critter. And then don't look at his headgear or her headgear. Look for that spot on that animal. And when you find that spot that you've been so accustomed to looking at on our podcast, you focus and, and aim small, miss small, brother. You know, uh, those emotions are going to take over you and you just got to breathe through. Uh, and to get through it, it's going to be the practice that you put in before you get there, learning how to shoot off your knees, shooting in a little bit of tight quarters. Uh, it might be ha have your wife or one of your kids come out there and yell at you while you're doing it. All of those things can help you shoot under pressure. And, uh, the, uh, I mean, my son will come out there and, and he'll whack me with something in the back or on the hip or he'll yell something really loud at me. I mean, we do a lot of things to try to overcome those kinds of, the, those kinds of pressures. Uh, but it sounds like you're doing what you need to do as far as shoot. The most important thing is where you put it. You know, I mean, we can shoot bullseyes all day long, but if we don't understand the anatomy of an elk, it's really hard to kill one so, uh, cleanly and ethically. So now coming from a guy that uh, completely understands you, a guy that really gets the what we call the Vito Lacus pretty strongly, um, I am, well, you know, go ahead that's... Well, explain what Vito Lacus is, man. Yeah, Vito Lacus is what you're calling elk fever. They're buck fever, right? It's just that uh, 
your heartbeat starts pounding super hard. You feel like you can't breathe and you hear your heart beating your eardrums and, and, you know, it's just like you get that tunnel vision. Um, look, I sweaty hands, however, however it, it manifests in you, but I get it, man. I, I, I get it every time. And look, there's two things that I felt that have helped me, um, one of them is that's why I was asking which state because um, hogs give me vitulacas in a way that I cannot explain. And Beto knows this. I, I mean, watch he's been, videos. He's, he's about pass out on a deer well, stand. You, you've been sitting right next to me next too, to as well. <laughs> you know, whenever they come out. Yeah. So I th- I think that just you know picking a different uh, different game that you can hunt more often that you know gets you through that situation of that. Uh, that bug fever and then you work through that and try to control it and uh, that's definitely going to help the more you feel it the more you would know how to handle it that's one the other is look you know it comes to a point where I've realized that I just have to embrace the feeling it's like okay I'm I'm feeling the vitulacus and you know what I'm going to enjoy them, you know, and, and Rafa and I were talking about this too. And, and he, he actually brought that up and I thought it was pretty smart. And it's like, Hey, let's just, I'm feeling it. I'm going to embrace it. I know I'm feeling it. I'm not going to try to stop him because I think that's going to make it worse. I'm just going to enjoy them and enjoy the moment and just kind of merge yourself in and just, you know, feel the moment that you're living because ultimately those are the moments that you're doing all of this for. So those two things have helped me a lot. Yeah, and, and that, that, that vitilocus is what you're feeling is that <laughs> adrenal dump in the fight or flight. Uh, when we talk about biology of our bodies, that's what you're feeling is that dump of adrenaline. So you try to manage that, number one, breathing, and then just focusing on what your task is. Don't look at, you know, don't let all of that overwhelm you where we get into that fight or flight. It took me a long time as a young man. Uh, coming up bow hunting so the more you do it like Luis said you guys want a place to come test your skills and get around some really cool critters in some cool country y'all give me a phone call or hit me on on LinkedIn or on uh, Instagram Facebook I mean whatever and uh, we can get you down here in Texas and come hunt some of these hogs Joe will tell you they're they're formidable critters uh, to take with a bow and it will help you like Luis's such a better archer. Him and Manano both are unbelievably uh, good archers because they actually hunt these critters, you know, and, gonna, uh, and they, they, they can actually, uh, they kill everyone they shoot at. I mean, I'm going to step in it's and, been and awesome. give a little bit different viewpoint too. And it's a lot shorter, to Luis. And, and Scott guys is from Bend, Oregon is where Scott's from. Okay. Scott Winter from Bend, oh, okay. Oregon. Um, and Scott, and, and a lot of you guys out there, I think it's like when we coach kids, um, kids that are they're going to do the high jump or kids are going to do the pole vault um, or even in, in a sprint race or, or hurdles, they get so locked in to the final goal that I have to clear this height or I, I, I've got to get over this or I have to beat this person or they, they basically create this ultimatum um, that becomes their goal, and that that that's all they focus on. And yeah. put what, put a monkey on your back for sure. Exactly, man. Uh-huh. And so what I what I tell people and what I told kids all the time is, you know, 
I ask my kids, why is it that you pole vault? And they're like, man, I just love to fly. So at what point do you stop doing that? So what are you out there? What is the reason that you're out hunting? Because you're out there for the experience. You're out there for the moment. So at what point do you stop loving that? Do you stop loving the competition? And so what I tell guys is, is that I, I, you will notice that once you kill an animal, as far as, like if you're in the hunt, and let's say that you've taken an animal, and then you go out to help everybody else, and, and you're maybe calling, or you're just out there and experiencing, and now you come across an elk, it's like you're a totally different person. You don't feel all that nervous. You don't feel all that pressure, and you actually enjoy the moment. You start watching the animal. You start taking the animal in, and it, you're, you're two different guys. So what's the difference between the guy over here and the guy over there is that that self-imposed pressure. Instead of mm-hmm. remembering why you're there, instead of taking in the moment. Because what I tell you to do is when you first see the animal, don't think about killing the animal. When you first see it, think about learning. Look at that animal. Watch its ears. Watch its eyes. Watch how it's acting when it's feeding. Notice if it's twitching its tail or if it's kind of stomping a foot. Enjoy the moment just for a second. Then notice. Because I, I'm telling you, a lot of times we force the issue of having to take a shot. That if we were more patient, that that shot that you're thinking that somebody else needs to be out in front of you to make at 50 or 60 yards, if you were that person out front and you just took in the moment and you enjoyed it and you were patient, that shot would become a 30-yard shot or a 20-yard shot. So by slowing down and remembering why you're out there and being a, uh, a learner of the animal, being a student of the hunt, you learn things, you take things in, you appreciate things. You learn to love. Man, you're looking at that critter and says, man, that is a beautiful animal, man. And then you're noticing what angle. You know how it's coming in. And you're starting to put things together in your mind. And then you convert that over to the hunt. And it just changes you a little bit because now you're focusing on, well, what angle is he is? Because now I want to make sure that when I do take a shot, it is going to be a clean responsible kill. So if that animal is going to the position I need, now it's a chess game. Play the game. Compete with that animal. Change the the ground rules from you worrying about whether or not you're going to... Do not fear failure, man. So many of us are like, the first thing we do is we go, I don't want to wound this animal. Well, shoot, man. You keep telling yourself you don't want to wound it. You're going to wound it. You so what you messed do... Messed up is, from the start. Yeah. Man, you, you got to look at it and you got to say... You know, it's my. I'm going to. I'm. I'm going to do this. It's going to happen. You know, and uh, do not fear failure. Enjoy the moment. Believe in your training, and 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 do what you uh, came there to do, and what you love doing, and why you're out there. That that's what I would tell guys in that situation. I'm I'm telling you, I watched a 13 year old girl kill a bull elk with a with a crossbow, crossbow. at 41 yards. And uh, she hit that bull probably a foot behind the shoulder and about three inches high center. And that bull died, uh, maybe not a foot, maybe eight inches behind the shoulder. But that bull died in 30 seconds or less. That clued me into something as an elk hunter. And that was five years ago. And I'm going to tell you what, when I started looking for that spot, instead of looking at the bull or looking at anything, I went from shooting at bulls to killing bulls to harvest in bulls and I mean 
Chad's been with me on a couple occasions where they ain't go more than 55 feet, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, when we, yeah. If you watch that podcast or, and you watch the YouTube video that's on there, you will see the shot placement that we're talking about. And if you put your arrow within a six-inch circle of that, I promise you, it, it's over. But I don't watch – I don't watch anything but that spot. Last year when I killed that bull, I had to wait for him to turn. And when he turned, I had to move out in front of a a tree. And listen, I had to keep my eye on that spot, not on him, the spot. Soon as the, soon as the pin got to the spot, I don't even know how my finger touched the trigger. It's just all automatic. You know, I mean, it's the same thing when I'm whitetail hunting, you know, and whitetail are harder to to me because they duck. You know, so at the end of the day, it's all about your training and where, like Joe said, man, don't don't go out with the thinking that, man, we, we call it stinking thinking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, don't go out with the stinking thinking. You got to be a victor. You got to know when I'm, when I'm, when I see that spot, I'm putting my pin there and that's where it's going, you know? And I, for me, Joe, I, re, I look at a spot on the elk and I just, I picture a red marble there. When I see that red marble, I know exactly where. And look, it may it may be just a crease, it may be a speck of mud, it may be something. But I pick out a individual spot on that bull that I want to put my pin on, right? That I want to hit him right there. And you know, and if I, I could tell guys that when they're hunting to to visualize that spot on that animal, it will transcend the way you bow hunt. There's a difference, it, uh, and, and take this the right way, uh, but there's a difference between killers and hunters because there's those guys, man, those guys that consistently put animals on the ground that when an animal gets into a red zone, they're like a dog on a bone, man. They are locked in. They are focused. Now, that you know, that's like Luis. I guarantee you, I think I think Luis has just transferred his viralaques to – after he's taken the shot, you know, then it's time. I mean, he's like calm up to the point. He gets yes. it done, and then he falls apart after. Well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, man. There's a lot of emotion involved. Am I right, yeah. Luis? Right. No, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I feel them, uh, but I f- um, I'm at the point where I feel like I control them to where I can make a shot. But right. then after, after I take the shot, my legs give in, man. I, everything starts shaking, and I my hands. <laughs> <laughs> you just muted. I don't know why, but you yeah. just like muted for a second there. I don't know yeah. what happened. But... <laughs> he probably hit his button. So <laughs> one of the yeah. things, one of the things I was going to suggest as well is like, look, if you feel like you can't control them and they're going to take the best out of your shot, and and you feel like your shot is in jeopardy because of you, what you're feeling at the moment, the uh, what I've done is the in the past is just simply look down take a couple deep breaths and then try it again. And that's helped me in the past. It's just like looking down, taking your eyes out of that animal and then just take a couple deep breaths. And that usually helps me get ready for the shot at that and point. Whatever you do, don't take a shot just to take a shot. One of the worst things I've ever heard in the woods is when I've come across a hunter and I you know, asked how they've done. They said, well, well, I stuck one. Uh, your goal is never to stick an animal. Your your goal is to put that in that kill where we teach you and put that animal down quick and fast. So if you're ever in the point where you are questioning and something happens, the best shot is no shot, man. 
and and let down yeah. enjoy the moment and or like louis says get yourself together you might even get a better moment out of that but mm-hmm. you know if you get to a point where you start to lose focus yeah, it's it's not the time, man. It's not the time. You just got to keep working at it, guys. We're going to take. We have actually in our lineup tonight. We've we've done a lot already. Um, we still have Richard Strait, Randy Fritz, Chris McKelvey, and Roy Matthewson from uh, Colorado. And we're going to do Richard Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska. And we're going to call in an evening, and we'll we'll get these other ones on our next show. Um, this has been a, a incredible night of questions and a lot of great information. So. Um, yeah, uh, Gilbert, why don't you take us out with Richard? You bet. So Richard Strait from Lincoln, Nebraska, he says, Hey, Elk Rose, just left a review after listening to another amazing podcast, The Why of Elk Calling. You got me thinking about my rifle hunt October 24th in New Mexico, Unit 23. <laughs> two questions. I'll have two non-hunter friends with me for the adventure, and I'm wondering if at ease – at ease uh, calling, if, he's calling it. At ease at calling. Ease calling mm-hmm. Yeah, with muse and such would still be wise as we move through the country. Or will it just serve as to alert elk to our presence? Last year I heard a little bit of bugling and some of the younger bulls still with some cows. Not sure if that will be the case this year. What are your suggestions for midday hunting at this time of year? And I figure if we see or hear elk in the morning then we'll try to move in on uh, either slot, either spot and stalk or close enough to do some calling. But what if the morning early sunrise comes up with nothing? How do we make the rest of the morning and afternoon productive? So uh, question number one is about Addie's calling. And, yeah. you know, in, in that situation there at that time of year, October 24th, yeah, there's still some animals that are talking. Uh, but it depends on what type of animal you want. But the only time I would use it for at ease, Richard, is if you get busted in a situation or there's something where you've actually been moving in on animals or moving down on animals and you need to calm them down. I don't think I would do any walking uh, with mews and stuff. Now, if I was set up on a ridge where I'm looking down into areas, I would throw some mews out possibly there to try to get something to show itself or to move around. But I, I, I would try to stay out of the timber if I'm rifle hunting. I, I think you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So if you're if you're moving to the country, stay up where you can see other country, where you can use your optics to help you out. Uh, if you end up with animals that are alert to you and, and, uh, and, and there might be a situation where you have to calm them, that's the time when you want to use the muse and stuff like that. Um, as a guide, the midday hunting, that time of year, your your days have gotten really short. Uh, the the best thing you can do at midday is to really, let again, let the binos start picking apart those areas where animals could be bedded down uh, if possible, especially if you have any scrub oak hills or if you have any burns or if you have any trees off of it where you can just watch where a possible animal might come out to water get a little bit of feed and get back in if you want to be productive. Uh, now, if you find some in the morning and they go to bed down, I would actually stay and you know until I see them moving to, to make a move. You just got to make sure that you're in a good situation where they're not spotting you before you're spotting them. So a midday type hunt during the rifle season, sometimes if you're not, you know, is the best time to recover. 
and unless you're just going to stay out there and you're going to glass all day and you're going to eat with that it's a little different than that long archery day where you can get up there where those guys are bedded down inside and get them to respond because a midday hunt during the archery hunt elk will have a great tendency to respond to calling at that time for you it's a little bit different so it's all about using those high vantage points using your glasses using those cow calls to, oh, to either stop an animal. Let's say that you have a, an animal that's on a move, you're trying to get a shot, and you cow call or even scream a bugle if you have to just to stop them and get you to look your way. That's a good time. Or to slow them down uh, just, uh, or to relax them with that. But I would not walk through making those noises because you are just drawing attention. Good stuff, Joe. Luis, you got anything to add to that? No, sir. I think... Uh, no, not really. Just to uh, thank Richard Strait again for uh, his messages and uh, prayers and, and whatnot. Really appreciate it, Richard. And good luck. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Good luck. And uh, to all our other uh, questioners, we had a, we'll get you guys next week for sure. Um, Joe, I, I can't say enough about the content you guys are putting out. Uh, and I'm sure everybody's getting close on the on the academy coming up. I'm sure you'll have more to talk about that here on our next podcast. Um, guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. you got to go on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Don't just forget about the, the orders if you want exactly. your, your special edition camo from Elk Bros., Got to order now. Bakru Camo ends on What's, Thursday. Ends Thursday. on Thursday. So you guys put your orders in. Y'all will be sporting the the limited edition Vakru Camo. Uh, and just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like the questions answered on our show, you guys just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Guys, like we've always said, you guys keep your social distancing up. Love your neighbor. And uh, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Yes, sir. Peace, peace, y'all. Peace, guys. Peace. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.